I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a special guest, a man that I have admired for many, many years and respect. He was my team captain on several Olympic teams. We're talking to Matt Biondi, the manager of the International Swimmers Alliance. This is an auspicious occasion. June 8th, 2021 marks the formal launch of the International Swimmers Alliance, an independent organization established for athletes by athletes that aims to fight for athlete, for swimmers' rights and provide them with an independent global voice. Matt, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Mel. Uh, well said, by the way. I wish I had written something like that. <laughs> I just, I just went from, from the intro talking points delivered by the minions at the International Swimmers Alliance. Yes, yes. And, and so, so many minions. Many, <laughs> many minions. Matt, Matt has, uh, you know, here's, I, I should say this, 11-time Olympic medalist. Uh, you've been an advocate for swimmers. Um, you know, you were, you were on the front lines back in the 1980s. You, you of course, in, indoctrinated and, and helped us, the younger crew, culturally, and that has been built over the decades, but finally, now we're back at a point where having something that is a professional organization and association is happening. This has got to feel good. Yeah, thanks, Mel. I appreciate it. And yes, it feels great. Um, you know, two years ago, when we started this idea of getting, you know, international swimmers together from all around the globe, um, not just any swimmers, but really the elite level swimmers, top 20 in their individual long course event. It seemed like a pipe dream, and I know generations previous have tried to organize, and there's been great amount of momentum, and yet it seems to, to just peter out. But in this case, in this age, with the Swimmers Alliance, we were able to um, carry it through. We're official, 120 members, 31 different countries, and, and we've got a website now, which we're really excited about, because one of the things that the that board has targeted is direct communication with the members to be able to um, get access to what the issues are. Um, so we're making slow, steady progress and we feel good about it. Let's, let's catch everyone up who, if, if someone didn't listen to our first podcast, we've had a few and you've, uh, you've shared what you could share, but so I'm, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, we've had one season that two seasons of the international swimming league were on the eve of the third season and in the background, uh, particularly at season two, you, you made the push to, to, to talk with the athletes and get them to sign on to the International Swimmers Alliance. Uh, but you, you really, you, you really uh, you credited the, the bubble in season two, if I'm not correct. You had, you had time to sit down and really talk to them. What was that process like? Well, they were, you know, captive audience, so to speak. Um, we were all, we were in one of two hotels and I had the opportunity, you know, at uh, over dinner or at lunchtime, uh, just catching them in the hallway. Um, I think, you know, as we've all experienced in this last year or so, the difference between talking to people face to face and then doing it over the computer via the, the World Wide Web, it's just a totally different experience. And so having the chance to interact with the, the top level athletes on a more informal basis, I think gave them the confidence to trust me a little bit uh, more so than you'd get over the, the computer. 
let's give a, a little bit of credit to some of the stars on the board. It's a 10-member board, but it's led by Olympic greats, Kromedy Yo-Yo, uh, Katinka Hozu, Chad Leclo. And uh, these, are, these are big names in the sport. They have to, they have to be leaders in their own right. Uh, fr from my standpoint, what, and I'm not going to say what your age is, and I'm not going to say what my age is, but it's, we had expectations in our day. And I, I, I'm wondering what their expectations are now uh, for the Alliance at this launch, because uh, it's a, it's a taller and, uh, and, it, and it takes, you know, the, inter the, you know, the pro pro associations for our traditional pro sports took 10 to 15 years to really become established. And you have a tall order. You're negotiating with the international Olympic committee and you're negotiating with, uh, with FINA. So what, what are their expectations? You know, right now, I think their expectations are um, just to have some direct communication. Um, we're at the point now where we're just trying to solicit information from our members and find out really what the important issues are for them. Um, right now, the swimmers are so intensely focused on qualifying for their Olympic team. And then, of course, with the Olympics coming up, um, it's really where their, their minds are at. I would imagine that um, once the Olympics are over and we're into season three of ISL, again, that'll, you know, things will step down a little bit and we'll have, um, the swimmers will be more interactive in the issues that are important to them. Um, I know getting paid on time is one issue that the swimmers have always struggled with. And, and uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of a standard thing in business. You got 30 days to pay the bills or else the price goes up. Let's say uh, we we can talk about that later in the podcast. I just want to take one one moment for our listeners. If you're out there and you want to press pause, you should pop over to internationalswimmersalliance.org. Internationalswimmersalliance.org. They're just launching. Um, it, it's it's something you might want to familiarize yourself with if you're a fan and you just want want to be indoctrinated more into into the world of elite swimming. Um, as, as it stands right now, uh, there there have been there have been changes uh, recently with FINA, and this is you know this is it feels like a tectonic shift. Uh, you and I, you know, we we competed in the '80s, and we had the same leadership, the same president, and the same executive director. The executive directors, I mean, they were there for for over three decades. Uh, so we now have a new president as of last Saturday. Um, I don't want to butcher his name. I, I, I know I've read his name all the time. Uh, Hussein uh, Al Musalam. He was our new president. He is from Kuwait. He apparently a, a former swimmer. He swam uh, at, uh, at the world championships. Uh, and then we have a new executive director, uh, Brent Nowicki. And the, the new executive director is, uh, appears to be young. He appears to be in his early 40s. Uh, he's an attorney. And he's the former managing counsel at the Court of Arbitration. So uh, U.S. citizen, I uh, was a lacrosse player. So we haven't had a change. We haven't had a shift at FINA in forever. And it feels like we just had this change. And I'm, I'm, I, I feel like the doors are, are maybe opening for there to be a relationship. Um, have, have you been in contact with them? Have you heard from anyone from FINA? No, I have not heard from anyone from FINA. Um, I have uh, read some articles in the press about his announcement as the new president. And I'm encouraged. He specifically mentioned the International Swimming League. 
as uh, an event organizer that he's interested in um, talking with, having dialogue. Um, and that's a big shift from three years ago when FINA actively threatened the athletes to lose their Olympics if they participated. So you're right. I mean, the um, NCAA has a lot of movements towards uh, better athlete representation, um, less maybe um, athlete exploitation when you look at what's going on with all the dollars that are in um, NCAA football and basketball. And we see, you know, some parallel themes going on in the Olympic movement as well. Just to put a really fine point on uh, how contentious it was several years ago, the uh, when ISL was ISL spent a whole lot of time on the front end and they they and the communicating and educating people, they did this with share stakeholders in the sport behind the scenes for for a few years and and then it became more and more uh, frequent and they were you know if you contacted them you immediately heard from them and uh, so by the and. So by the time ISL was launching, they were releasing uh, videos that they had produced, which basically educated people on what their mission was. And they provided it to a lot of organizations. They provided it to us early and we ran it. And it was removed from YouTube with a threat to push Swim Swam entirely off of the entire YouTube platform. It was very frightening because that's a, it's a channel. It's, it's a Google company. And um, that was a very aggressive move that was done by, if you ask FINA, they didn't do it, but it was someone that worked for them that did that. And that, that's very contentious. And then we saw this shift over, over time. So the, so to, to go from a moment like that to the new president acknowledging ISL and is, is uh, that's a, that is a large improvement. <laughs> Swimming has, has remained somewhat in its archaic structure of this traditional amateurism. And, you know, starting around the seventies is when the Olympics became big business in television and the contracts went from hundreds of thousands to millions to tens of millions to now hundreds of millions to billions. And our swimming structure with the IOC and FINA and then your, your national governing bodies and then, and then to the individual sport um, it's sort of remained in this archaic structure and, and we see what's happening in other sports. Um, you know, one example, uh, we look at the ratios of athletes to administrators and most of the pro modern professional sports are one athlete to three administrators. Um, the Olympics, the IOC is one to 50. So you've got 50 administrators out there for every athlete. So it's this huge organizational bureaucratic body and, and I'm not sure that it holds up in the, the, the best organization for management and for athletes. What's interesting is that in the background, um, you and I know things that a lot of people don't know when we hear them, and I'll, I'll disclose a little bit of it. But the, you know, it's, it's a little bit contentious between the International Swimming League, as a, and it feels like a creative entrepreneurial venture, and it's been successful. And the other side is this entrenched institution. I think that we have love and respect for both. We have to if we want to have success. But the, the criticism on the institutional side is that the ISL is, is um, they, have, they haven't paid their bills as, as, as fast and you can't count on them. And, uh, and, I, and I, feel like that's, I feel like that's a tough, I, I have a problem with the criticism because I, I know that there's been, I know that there's been payment and sometimes payment has been a little slower 
but uh, I feel like that it's been a small stripped down, very elite crew producing a high end product that has evolved and changed. And we don't see changes on the institutional side for decades. Um, so it's, how, do, how as, 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 as the manager of the Summers Alliance, how do you, I guess it comes back to expectations. How do you, how do you manage that with, with your athletes? It's like, are, are, are you an advocate for, for, for payment on time at the ISL level? And are you an advocate uh, for more pay at the FINA and IOC level? I think uh, yes to both. Um, I think it's perfectly appropriate for the IOC to share some revenue with the swimmers who are in the finals, as well as those that are in the semifinals. Um, when you poll uh, Olympic fans, uh, swimming, track and field, gymnastics, uh, that's really capturing the majority of the eyeballs. Um, and you know, it's it's you got professional athletes playing in basketball and hockey, in tennis, and certainly there's no reason why um, we can't share some of that revenue with our swimmers as well. I think everybody wants to get paid on time. Um, and one of the, the nice things about the Swimmers Alliance is that we're hearing from athletes that we were supposed to get paid on the first of the month and my bank account didn't reflect the work that I did. I didn't, I never got paid. So we can then go to management and we can explain the situation and management can say, you know, listen, we're an upstart league. Uh, we appreciate your patience. Um, we'd like to set a new deadline and the money will come. So we're able to go back to the swimmers and assure them that yes, the money's there, you will get paid. And you know, this is an adventure. We, we both have to, to make some commitments and some sacrifices to get this league up and moving. And if the swimmers have to wait a little bit, then I think most of them will be happy to do it for the opportunity to go back in season three and earn another paycheck and have a great time competing in the pool and sharing the experience with a lot of really classy people. Let's, uh, before I have this next follow-up question, and it's really just about what your schedule is going to look like between now and August. Uh, so be thinking about that. I want to say this. The, uh, on the run-up to season three of the International Swimming League, it is, um, we're always tracking the industry news. And, and right now, the industry news is the ISL draft. It's, uh, that's ramping up. It's coming up uh, June twenty. I've re it's, it's been reported 21st and 22nd, but it's, it, I thought it was June 22nd and then June 29th and June 30th. And uh, we talked to uh, the ISL CEO and that was that media and, and the reporting has, has, has our engagement on that has been extremely high. It's, it was that information was distributed around wave one of Olympic trials and wave one of Olympic trials has been the highest traffic we've had in, in four years but ISL broke through and people were, were very curious about that. And on our side of the, of the fence, that signals um, a very big bump in traffic. And I was curious as to how ISL was going to do coming out of the Olympics. And I'm, based on what I'm seeing now, I'm very bullish on, on, uh, on a larger audience. So that, that's, a very, that's a big positive. And that's going to be a continuation of this Olympic fever that we feel this summer. What does your life look like as we head into Olympic trials, U.S. Olympic trials, the Olympic Games? What's your schedule like? What are you, what are you going to be doing? Who are you going to be meeting with? I think our, the extent of my meetings is going to be very similar to our meeting here today. Um, 
I will not be going to the trials and obviously um, there's no spectators happening at the Olympics. Um, so I'll just be cheering them on from home and um, anxious to see the show, uh, how the, the swimmers represent themselves. Um, I'll always be looking for those role models that are good spokesperson, um, that are uh, great examples to, to youth as far as how they conduct themselves inside the pool and outside the pool. And then um, uh, I hope that I'll be invited to the uh, season three for ISL. I think the, the first match is in Naples, uh, uh, Italy, which is, which is one of my favorite cities, actually. Really had a good time there. So looking forward to going back. So you're, you're going to be doing your, you're, 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 you're doing the continuation of the Zoom world, COVID life. You're going to be Zooming with people and, and, and doing your meetings like this over this summer. And, and it, I, I don't know about you, but um, it feels like when there's an Olympic trials or an Olympic games, um, doors open everywhere. So if there's something that is tangential to your business or your life or, your, or what you're doing personally in your career, it seems like it seems like those meetings happen faster. And it's my hope that those meetings happen faster for you. Uh, at, at what point are we going to hear the report from Mappiandi? I sat down with the stakeholders at the IOC. I sat down with uh, the new president of FINA. I sat down with the new executive director of FINA. At what point are we going to we're going to hear that? Is is uh, do we have a do we have a meeting scheduled? Is it on the books? <laughs> well, you know, hopefully that day will come. Um, as an analogy for us parents, the, this International Swimming Alliance is maybe still in diapers, uh, just learning to, to stand on two feet. Um, you know, these things take time. And I think one of the things that our board has identified is that we want to go carefully, we want to go slowly, and we want to do it right so that the swimmers can be proud of, of what we've accomplished and that we can establish something for, you know, generations to come. So there's, there's a great desire on our part to just move carefully and methodically um, and to be as inclusive as we can. Um, so we'll see, uh, maybe in a year's time, I would think is reasonable that we would, I mean, right now with the Olympics going on, uh, the athletes in such intense training that uh, pretty much now we just sit back and watch. But when people get home and, and start settling into their new training session, that'll be the time when the dialogue will open up. You know, what's interesting is that it, you, it feels like you're gonna be focused on FINA and the IOC, but it, it, the, the elephant in the room could be the NC2A. That could be where most of the dialogue is. That could be where you, you gain a lot of ground. And I, and I feel like that's with, with, the, with laws changing, that's the wild, wild west. And uh, some, 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 a very powerful institution is uh, being forced to make changes by law. And uh, so I, I don't know if that's been in, in the back of your head and, uh, and you've been putting out feelers and building relationships on that side. The NCAA. Well, the NCAA yeah, the NCAA um, is a good example of how the, the sort of the old models of amateur sports are starting to crack and to change and to, to modernize. We see the NCAA of all institutions starting to liberalize their uh, financial policies about athletes and their likeness and representation. So I think it's a good sign that um, both event organizers and as well as, as athletes are starting to recognize the true potential and, and the, the benefit to change on both sides. Um, however, the NCAA still maintains that you know, amateur status. And, and I think 
for, for our purpose, we want to deal with swimmers who have graduated from college, who've used up their NCAA eligibility or plan not to um, participate and that want to be a true professional. We, we, um, I, I bring it up from a, from a personal standpoint. We see, we see the writing on the wall. We see this changing at the NCAA level. Uh, and from your era, when you were captain of Mel Stewart and Janet Evans, we both turned pro and, and missed our senior years. And not really because we wanted to, because we were focused on, on our elite swimming. And, but it, it was, uh, and also there was, a, there was a financial incentive because the window was very, very narrow. And, uh, and it's something that I wish didn't happen. And, and there's been an evolution of that. Like Missy Franklin did two years at Cal, but she probably would have wanted to do four. Uh, Aaron Pearsall did two years at the University of Texas, but probably wanted to do four. It would, it would be our hope that we could. I think that there's going to be a possibility for athletes to participate in, 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 in pro swimming and also go to school and represent their, their university. But uh, well, to, to give you an example of uh, how far the NCAA has come um, in 1988, I had finished my swimming el eligibility. So I was done swimming had done four years, but I still had one year of water polo left. And I had the opportunity to go make a marine uh, video or a movie uh, with us swimmers swimming with dolphins out in the Bahamas. So the idea was that I would have this footage when I went into schools and I could talk about issues in the ocean and pollution and the amazing dolphins and whales are. And when I asked the NCAA for permission, they specifically said that there's no difference between swimming and water polo because both sports are co competed in a pool. And at the same time, they were distinguishing between football and baseball. So it's just like these minor sports that are happening in the water were just so insignificant to the NCAA. And so I think more, it's certainly now new management and they're giving more attention to these athletes and, and understanding the subtleties of the sport. And there is a difference between swimming and water polo. Yes, there's a huge difference. And they need, they need an 11 time Olympic medalist to tell them what that difference is. Uh, I was always jealous that you could play water polo and that you were you know, such a great team. And you got to do both. It was it was pretty cool. What what is you know you, you've launched this is the official launch. The website's up internationalswimmersalliance.org. You know what what is your what is your hope in in these in these first ninety days? I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to open communication and particularly with the members, um, and just to to see what kind of sediments are out there. I mean. It's really uh, an athlete-driven organization. So the website is going to allow us to, to glean that information from our athletes. What are, what are they concerned about? What would they like us to do for them? Um, and I, I see it as being a, a great vehicle um, for us to, to be in touch with the members and hopefully make some positive change in the, in the direction that they want to go. Just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm actually in... I'm in the Writers Guild of America. I have been since 1996. And so I made some money in Hollywood, sold some movies, and I was in the Writers Guild. And uh, it, was, uh, it was like swimming. You know, it's like this head down underwater. I was, I was, it's a thing where you focus and you're, you're, you're alone and, you're, and you're, doing, you're, you're working on your craft. 
my representation by that union was transformative for me financially, but also in terms of protect, protection. It was the, it's the best uh, insurance I ever had in my life. Never had insurance that good. Um, does the, inter, the International Swimmers Alliance, will, will, you, will you create uh, policies where if I'm a journeyman pro <clears throat> and I sign with a swimwear company, there'll be guidelines on how to interface and, and create that contract with an athlete. When you get that deep in the weeds. Actually, we're very upfront in the difference between athletes' commercial value and their sports value. So when you're mentioning, you know, their endorsements, that's their commercial value. And we believe that that belongs to the athlete. It's their business between them and the agent. What, what we're primarily concerned about is the, uh, the sports value. The, their competition in the pool. And the Swimmers Alliance would hope to increase revenue uh, as in prize money or appearance money for uh, current events that are going on like the World Championships or the Champion Series that FINA um, organizes and, and to introduce payments at the Olympic level and the World Championship level. I think it's reasonable and something that we'd like to, to shoot for. I'm looking into the crystal ball and it's my prediction that ultimately uh as people and as the members come to to trust the success that you create that you you will be in a situation where you create guidelines for athletes who are coming into the pro ranks in terms of how they negotiate as a service to them and uh i i think that might be somewhere you you guys move because it's um i know that you're an advocate for athletes and you want them successful in all areas of their life the uh, this is such a type. This is such a. I feel like you're you're climbing Mount Everest, and I and I. <laughs> I know you feel a sense of responsibility, but is it? Uh, do do you do you do you wake up some morning and go, wow, this is like I can't believe I'm doing this. This is too much. I want to set the mantle down. Oh, I've got a lot of very talented and, and uh, capable people around me. Um, you know, it's a 10 member board. I'm just one of the, of the 10 members. Um, you know, I, there's, a, there's a famous saying that you can't legislate morality. Um, I think the Alliance would like to offer this to our members um, and, and maybe give advice or um, have a, um, a resource for talking points. Um, for some training with the media, uh, just sort of like an advisory position. Um, but really, the only restriction that um, Alliance would have is that, you know, you're not a drug cheat. Matt, you know, I just, I'm, is, is, is there anything that you would like to say in closing? Because I know we're, we're just, like you said, the International Swimmers Alliance is in its, we're in the, we're in the infant stage, we're in the diaper stage. Is there anything, do you have any closing thoughts? I, I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish. I think that our organization is greatly needed in our sport. I think all you need to do is look at um, how other sports are governing themselves and the way that they represent their athletes and give them voice. So I see us as just sort of catching up to what's been going on and like to stress that it, we're trying very hard not to make it a controversial um, announcement that we're not coming out as adversaries to any organization or any idea. It's, it's just something that is so common in business 
to have a relationship between management and labor in, in professional sports. You have the Players Association and their representation. And it's just a very logical um, and hopefully successful um, update of international swimming. Two things have happened as this is as we, we're going to close because I, I, just, I have to keep you just for another minute. Uh, with FINA's new election of their president and their executive director, they've also approved $2.4 million in prize money for this year. Interestingly, it's very close to ISL season two's $2.58 million in prize money. Uh, I think that that every, the, the, the elephant in the room is that that would never would have happened without the International Swimming League. Um, it's a, it's, it, it, it feels like at, at this point, half the battle has been done, but I know that there's much further to go. In terms of negotiating um, your more prize money at the table, do you have disclosure in terms of budgets and what's available? Um, are, are you, are, is it something you're having to chase with, with the help of legal counsel? I think, you know, a, a really an honest discussion about <clears throat> increasing revenue for Olympic swimmers is several years off, um, you know, with the postponement in Tokyo and the, and the, the budget overrides. <clears throat> and quite honestly, you know, how many people outside of sport are hurting because of the, the economic shutdown. Um, so we recognize that, that it's a little more sensitive time. We'll focus on some social issues. But I think realistically for Paris and, and for sure by, you know, Los Angeles, when the Olympics come back here, um, we'd like to, to, to have some, some progress and some dialogue on those issues. Um, but I would anticipate um, nothing imminent with FINA. Um, certainly not this year. Um, the schedule is already pretty full. 940 swimmers are in the draft for the International Swimming League. It, it, actually, it's a little bit more because they're, they're, my understanding is there's going to be 10, 15, 20 more swimmers on there, perhaps an, a larger number. Uh, International Swimmers Alliance is 120. What's, how big is this association going to be by Paris 2024? That's a good question. Um, you know, 120 is a good number. We feel like that was significant enough to, to establish ourselves as a legitimate organization. I don't know that it'll go that much higher. Um, if anything, we're going to drop because you've got, you know, senior swimmers who are going to go one last round to their Olympics and they're going to retire and move on with their life. So once they've retired, then, you know, they will no longer be eligible in the organization. So, you know, who knows what our membership will be, but I, I would see, hopefully it'll, you know, go up and down, but probably the numbers won't get crazy big. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.